The year is 1987. The country is in high spirits as the year starts off with Dow Jones average closing above 2,000 for the first time ever. Although 10 months later, the stock market will crash, dropping 508 points and losing almost a quarter of its value. More good news comes when the drug AZT is approved, providing hope for the thousands of people who have the AIDS virus. But racial conflict is rising on college campuses across the country as some students protest the apartheid system in South Africa, while others burn crosses in front of black student unions, paint racial slurs on campus buildings, and publish articles in school newspapers opposing affirmative action. And in that year of 1987, the Pulitzer Prize for Drama went to August Wilson's Fences, a drama about a black family in the 1950s quietly mourning the opportunities denied them in the past, but not quite ready to trust the possibilities that the present might offer. My name is Jan Simpson. Welcome to All the Drama, a podcast about the plays and musicals that have won American theater's highest accolade, the Pulitzer Prize for Drama. Fences was the second of August Wilson's plays to be done on Broadway, and the first of the two Pulitzers he would win. It is also part of what is arguably the greatest achievement in the American theater, the ten plays Wilson wrote about African-American life in the 20th century that would come to be known as the American Cycle. Although all of the plays, with one exception, are set in Wilson's hometown of Pittsburgh, and all are deeply rooted in the black American experience, each touches on the themes of family, love, dreams, and despair that are universal. Wilson was born in Pittsburgh on April 27, 1945. His father was a German immigrant named Frederick August Kittle, who worked as a baker and his mother was an African-American woman named Daisy Wilson, who cleaned houses for a living. Their son was the fourth of their six children and the first boy. They named him Frederick August Kittle, Jr., and called him Freddie. Frederick, Sr. didn't live with the family, who crowded into a two-bedroom apartment in Pittsburgh's Black Hill District. And when Freddie was around 12, his mother got involved with another man named David Bedford, an African-American ex-convict who worked for the city sanitation department. Bedford moved the family to a predominantly white working-class neighborhood where Freddie was enrolled in the neighborhood Catholic school. Always bookish, Freddie had begun writing stories in grade school, but after he repeatedly found notes on his desk saying, Go home, neighbor. He dropped out of the Catholic school. He tried the local public high school, but when a teacher there accused him of plagiarizing a report on Napoleon because it was so well written, he stopped going to school altogether. Instead, he got some menial jobs to support himself and spent the rest of his time reading his way through the books in the nearby library, hanging out at a neighborhood diner where he listened to old-timers trade stories about their lives, and writing poetry on napkins 
envelopes or whatever paper he could find, a habit he would continue even when he could afford better writing materials. On April 1, 1965, which the journalist Patty Hardigan notes in her recently published biography of Wilson was the day that his father died, the young writer gave himself a new name, drawn from his middle name and his adored mother's surname. It would be another fifteen years before he changed it legally, but from then on he would be known as August Wilson. August became friends with other writers in the neighborhood, and in 1968, inspired by the Black Arts Movement, he and a few of them started the Black Horizons Theater. One of the group, Rob Perry, wrote the plays they put on, and Wilson directed them. Wilson later said he'd only seen a couple of plays at that point and learned what a director should do by reading a book he found in the library. But a decade later, Wilson found himself in a rut. He was now in his thirties. The theater had folded, an early marriage had ended, and friends had moved on to other gigs. So Wilson was grateful when he got a call from one of his old theater pals who was helping to start up the Penumbra Theater in St. Paul, Minnesota. He asked Wilson to come out and work on a play there. Wilson liked it in Minnesota, even though a musical he wrote for the theater about a black cowboy bombed. He even got a day job writing children's plays for the local science museum. But Wilson missed the company and the talk of the black folks back in the hill, and he began to write about a group of them who worked for a neighborhood cab company. In 1988, the script, now called Jitney, helped him to get a fellowship from the Playwright Center in Minneapolis. He quit the museum job to spend more time on the other place he now wanted to write, subsidizing himself by working as a part-time cook. A friend also encouraged him to apply to the National Playwrights Program at the Eugene O'Neill Center in Connecticut. Wilson applied, but he was rejected five times. Then Lloyd Richards, the dean of the Yale School of Drama, the head of the program at the O'Neill, and the man who had directed the original production of Lorraine Hansberry's A Raisin in the Sun, read an early draft of Wilson's play about a female blues singer and her band members, and he invited Wilson to join that summer's workshop at the O'Neill. Wilson's play needed work. He had marvelous dialogue that mixed streetwise humor with a soaring lyricism that became his trademark. But he didn't have much of a plot or much of a sense of how to create one. Richards took him under his wing, teaching him how to structure and pace a play, and then giving him one of the prize slots at the end of the summer to showcase the work he'd done. Critics aren't supposed to review plays they see at the O'Neill, but the New York Times theater critic Frank Rich was so knocked out by Ma Rainey's Black Bottom that he couldn't resist. It is quite unusual, Rich wrote, to find a playwright who is willing to stake his claim to the stage not with stories or moral platitudes, but with the beauty and meaning of torrents of words. That helped move the play to Broadway. There it was nominated for a Tony and ran for 276 performances. But Wilson was sensitive to the criticism 
that even with Richard's help, Ma Rainey was more of a collection of entertaining dialogues and stirring monologues than a real play. So he made up his mind to show that he could write a conventional, well-structured play focused around a central character. The character he came up with was Troy Maxson, a man in his fifties who, like Wilson's stepfather, had served time in prison and then gotten a job working on a garbage truck. However, his Troy had once been a standout player in the Negro Baseball League, but was too old by the time the major leagues began accepting black players. And the painful resentment that caused affects everything Troy does. Cheating on his devoted wife, Rose, betraying his disabled brother, Gabriel, and denying his son, Corey, the chance to realize his dream. Despite Ma Rainey's success, and that of Raisin in the Sun, for that matter, Producers were skittish about mounting a play about a black family on Broadway. Finally, Carol Shorenstein Hayes, the daughter of a real estate magnate who had been looking for a way to become a producer, offered to put up all the money for the production, making her the show's sole producer. But finding the money turned out to be the least of the problems in getting fences to the stage. Wilson and Richards, who was 26 years older and far more experienced, had worked together closely on Jitney, with Richards teaching Wilson about dramaturgy and casting. The media played up this father-son relationship, but Wilson began to resent it. He started asserting himself more during the rehearsals for Fences. He insisted that he and Richards renegotiate the financial arrangements they had made, now cutting Richards' share of their royalties in half. Others were unhappy, too. James Earl Jones, who had played Troy during the Fences workshop at the O'Neill, and who would later win his second Tony for his iconic performance in the role on Broadway, didn't like the ending of the play. He said it depressed him, and he wanted a different resolution for Troy and his son, Corey. Shorenstein Hayes pressed for changes, too. But despite their disagreements over royalties, Richards stuck with his playwright, and they refused to make any significant changes. Eventually, according to Wilson's biographer, things got so tense that Richards threatened to quit, and Shorenstein threatened to withdraw her money lawyers finally worked out a truce. The show made it to opening night with the playwrights ending intact, but the feuding had been so ugly that the different factions held separate opening night parties. Still, the play not only managed to survive all that mishigas, but was a hit. It ran for 525 performances and became one of the most honored plays in American theater history, winning four Tonys, plus the Drama Desk, New York Drama Critics Circle, and Outer Critics Circle Awards. And, of course, the Pulitzer. The Pulitzer jury had ranked fences behind Neil Simon's semi-autobiographical play Broadway Bound, but the board, which has the final say on all Pulitzer awards, went with fences. Simon would win the prize four years later for Lost in Yonkers. 
Fences is still Wilson's most popular play. It is done all over the country, and its success meant that Wilson no longer needed day jobs. Paramount Studios reportedly paid him $1 million for the film rights and announced that James Earl Jones and Eddie Murphy would star in the movie. But those plans ran into a stag when Wilson announced publicly that the movie should only be directed by a black director. I am not trying to get work for black directors, he told one magazine reporter. I am trying to get the film of my play made in the best possible way. I decline a white director not on the basis of race, but on the basis of culture. White directors are not qualified for their job. The job requires someone who shares the specifics of the culture of black Americans. No film offenses was made until 2016, when Denzel Washington directed a version of the Tony-winning stage revival he'd done with Kenny Leon in 2010. Wilson always said that Fences was his least favorite of the plays that he'd written, but he clearly cherished winning the Pulitzer for it. He even wore a carnation and the label of the new suit jacket he bought when he attended the award ceremony. Over the next 18 years, Wilson would produce eight more plays before he died from liver cancer in 2005 at the age of just 60. He had been diagnosed a few months earlier and pushed himself to finish Radio Golf, the final installment in his ten-play cycle. Two weeks after his death, the Virginia Theater on 52nd Street was named in his honor. Joining me to discuss Wilson and Fences is Dr. Sandra Shannon, Professor Emerita at Howard University and the founder and president of the August Wilson Society. Hello, Sandra Shannon. Welcome to All the Drama. Why, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Before we talk about fences, could you tell us a little bit about what the August Wilson Society is? Well, the August Wilson Society started in 2006 when I was an assistant professor in the Department of English at Howard University. And I would classify myself as a rising August Wilson scholar. So his death in October of 2005 certainly sent me really. And in my position as an August Wilson scholar, I just felt moved. It was like a no brainer. So in April of 2006, I was able to corral about 10 of my faculty colleagues to agree that this was something that they wanted to be a part of and that this was something that needed to happen. That's over 17 years ago, Jan, and we have evolved. (laughs) What exactly do you guys do? Basically a lot of programming around topics related to August as well as his American Century Cycle plays. There is a lot of work to be done. August's plays are being performed internationally, and before an even larger audience. And with that comes curiosity. People want to know who is this August Wilson. So the August Wilson Society, our mission is to preserve the teaching, the performing, 
uh, and the safeguarding of August Wilson's legacy. And I think the August Wilson Society has been largely responsible for establishing the seal of August Wilson's studies, which is booming right now. Uh, How did you first become interested in August Wilson? It was fences that really drew me to August Wilson. I read the play, and the story very much reminded me of my father, who had recently passed away. Hmm. And so there was some, some sort of chord that Troy struck with me, and I felt a, an immediate connection to not only the character, but I wanted to know who was the playwright who wrote this uh, play. And August really had not quite blown up, as they say, as he has now. I found August to be ripe for publications, which, of course, is what an assistant professor needs. (laughs) I wanted to see August in textbooks, in anthologies. I wanted to see dissertations written. I wanted August's work to be taken just as seriously as, say, a Toni Morrison or William Shakespeare or uh, Eugene O'Neill, if you will. Let me ask you this. This is a question I ask in each of these episodes. What do you think made the Pulitzer Board award the prize to Fences? What do you think it was that made the board say, we're going with this guy, August Wilson, and this play, Fences? I would just use the word universality, Jan. And I think it that has been borne out and continues to be borne out in the play's popularity, not only in this country, but also outside of this country, uh, specifically talking about the generational conflict. August, I think, very strategically set the play in 1957. That was before the 1960s, where all kind of political activism was going on. But I think, in addition to that, I just think of the beauty of the language. August wrote beautiful language. He was in love with language, in fact. I think that the the committee also probably was impressed with this portrayal of a of a of a human character in the person of Troy Maxim. He made hate him, but he made us love him and understand him simultaneously. In other words, he created a complex character. Wilson himself seemed ambivalent about fences. I I I, I think he's often said it was his least favorite of the plays that he wrote. Well, what I was able to glean from interviews with Mr. Wilson, as well as, you know, other interviews that were published, August wrote Fences on a dare. Fences comes on the heels of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Critics were divided on this new playwright. There's this new voice out here. How are we going to classify? Is he any good or what? So they were busy trying to pigeonhole him or to bury him <laughs> with their criticism. The critics said on Rainey's Black Bottom was bifurcated, which meant that they really didn't know what the plot was. Is the play about Ma Rainey or is it about Ma Rainey's book band? And so some people were upset that that answer was not clear. And so I guess the critics got to August challenged August to write a play where it was absolutely clear 
who the protagonist is. So he addressed that issue. He writes this sort of tragic figure, Troy Maxim. He creates a character which, and by all counts, is comparable to any of Shakespeare's tragic figures. But he, a garbage man. He makes a garbage man into a tragic figure. I think sets fences apart. Is it one of your favorites? Fences? Mm-hmm. Of, of course. Of course. As I, as I said, I relate to Troy. And, you know, Dan, even as I sit here, I'm not in my home in Maryland. I am in an area where I grew up in southeastern Virginia. As a little girl growing up in this area, it was racist, was and to a certain extent still is to a troublesome degree. I know and knew of which and of whom August Wilson wrote. And so I could empathize with Troy getting in the faces of his employers who had black men lifting garbage cans while the white man drove the garbage truck. He was fighting the same demons, those same obstacles of racism and oppression and Jim Crow that I experienced firsthand. Now, a lot of his plays, all of his plays deal with these subjects and these themes, but this remains, Fences remains his most popular play. Why do you think that is? I can speculate that the generational aspect would make it a very popular text. Uh, I think that speech where Corey is talking to his dad, well, even before that, <laughs> the the wrestling match or the conflict that happens in the backyard, that is a pivotal moment because Corey, who is basically coward in the presence of his dad prior to that point, looks at him eye to eye and they chall- he challenges his dad. A younger audience can very much relate to that. And it's 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 a well-made play. <laughs> Everybody loves a well-made play. You have the building action, then you have the climactic moment, then you have the denouement, the resolution, and all of that. And I think that that speaks to our humanity. Fences is poignant. Well, it's a it's a simple play in some ways, but it's it's also a great play. Absolutely, it is great in its simplicity, and I, that's not a negative criticism. The beauty of its simplicity is really what makes it a popular play. I do recall the first time I saw Fences in an anthology. And for me, that was very exciting because that was part of my whole agenda was to make August Wilson's plays accessible to academics so they could study it, write about it, you know, dissected, all of that kind of stuff. The same thing we do Shakespeare or Arthur Miller or any of the other playwrights. And so I saw that as a very important person. Well, we want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us about Fences, which I think is going to live on in the canon for a very, very long time. Yes, it will. I'm, I'm very happy about that. Absolutely. Thank you again. Oh, thank you so much. I enjoyed talking about talking to you and about August Wilson.
and thank you for listening. I hope you'll come back next time. And if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, please send them to me at jan at broadwayradio.com. This episode is dedicated to the memory of my sister, Joanne Simpson, who loved theater and loved the plays of August Wilson.